Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks so much for being here, covered up some time, and making River Glen part of your uh, uh, Sunday. Question for you. Uh, how many of you know what this is uh, right here? Two of you. Great. Uh, this is a bug zapper. Yeah, I've never actually owned one of these. I borrowed this. But I've lived in neighborhoods where it seemed like just about everybody else had one. And you stand on your driveway late at night, and you just hear this bug zapper. Zap, zap, zap. Just, you know, going, going, going. Uh, all night uh, long. Now, you know, you, many of you know, you know how these work. You know, you hang it up somewhere and you turn the light on. The bug sees it, right? And the bug flies up there and goes, cool. You know, that's a, that's a great looking light. I think I'm going to hang out. I think I'm going to get close. I think I'm going to go in there and, and check it out. The bug goes in and, uh, of course, you know, gets zapped. Now, whenever I see one of these, I, I, a thought crosses my mind that, you know, why don't the bugs uh, wise up? You know, you, you would think that after a while, you know, they'd fly up here and they'd see all the dead bodies, you know, littering the tray beneath their friends, their relatives that have gone uh, before them. And they'd go, you know what, all my buddies went in there and didn't come out. But the bug always uh, goes in. Many of you probably saw this movie. It came out several years ago called Bug's Life. And there's this great scene with two mosquitoes and a bug zapper. Take a look. Look at the light. I can't help it. It's so beautiful. <laughs> zap, zap, zap. All right. All night long. Well, today we're wrapping up this series, and it's called Living on the Edge. And we've been talking about how we all have this tendency to just live to the max, you know, push our limit, try to get as much as we can, can out of life when it comes to our schedules and our time and emotions, and relationships, and money, and morality. But the problem is if we just live on our limit, you know, on the edge for too long, eventually we go over the edge. And so the last couple of weeks we've talked about the one and only solution that keeps us from, from going over the edge and keeps us from getting zapped, and that is margin. Margin is creating extra space so that we have room in our life for who and what matters uh, the most. And so each weekend we've talked about this big idea. Life is always better with margin because we're not so self-consumed and stressed out and we've got the emotional bandwidth, we've got the emotional capacity to really love other people and enjoy our lives. And we said if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a big, big deal because God always leads us to margin. And in that space, we learn to trust him. Now, today, we're going to talk about an area of our life where due to lack of margin, this area has zapped presidents and senators and famous athletes and actors and actresses and CEOs and coaches and teachers and parents and pastors. And probably all of us know somebody who's been zapped. And so today, we're going to talk about Developing and creating this right here, moral margin. And by moral margin, I mean margin as it relates to our sexuality. And I would say out of all the areas in our life where we can create margin, this one is especially important. This is critically important. Because you know what? You can go over the edge. You can go, I mean, you can go too far in other areas. And there will be some consequences. might set you back. But you can recover. You know, for example, you can go 5 or 10 miles an hour over the speed limit and there's no huge consequences. You can rack up lots of uh, financial debt, but with time and, and discipline, you can recover. You can even laugh about it one day. Same thing with an educational disaster. You can flunk a class and 
take summer school and extra credit. And if you really work hard, you can recover. You can, one day you can tell your kids about it and you can all laugh about it. But going too far in this area can bring consequences for the rest of your life. I mean, nobody, think about this, nobody looks back and laughs, you know, about going over the edge in this area of, of sexuality because we know that it involves a very deep part of who we are. And memories follow us, guilt follows us, damage done follows us, and, and pain and insecurities follow us. And so it's really important for us to talk about this. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put the verses up here on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, take that one in front of you in the chair back. And it's our gift to you because we want everybody to have a Bible. Now, as I read this passage, for some of us, our initial reaction is going to be, Ben, that just sounds way too extreme to me. But as we look around in our culture And as we look at our lives and as we look at our past, if we're honest, I think we'd have to admit that our lives would be better off if we took this teaching seriously. Now, this this leader by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes this letter to this church, this little church in the city of uh, Corinth. And here's a little bit of trivia, you know, about Corinth uh, that might be uh, interesting. Maybe this will be useful for you uh, someday. Uh, You know how Las Vegas has a slogan. We all know the slogan, what happens in Vegas Yeah, stays in in Vegas. But did you know that actually originated in Corinth? You're like, really? No, I'm kidding. I just made that up. Okay. But here's the thing. In Corinth, they did things sexually that were accepted in that culture that today we'd look at those things and we would feel repulsed. But they were a normal part of what they did back then. And so Paul writes this letter to this church that's struggling in this area of sexuality. And take a look at what he says to them. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Don't, it, it, notice it's, it's flee. It's not flirt with it. It's not be careful with it. It's not, you know, get as close as you can without sinning. It, it's not get as close as you can and balance on the line. It's as soon as you see the temptation coming. As soon as you see something that might drag you over the line, the Bible says turn from it and run. Create margin as soon as possible. Now, if you're here, you know, and you're not a church person, or maybe you are a church person, for some of you, here's what you might be tempted uh, to do. You're tempted right now to just kind of tune me out altogether. And uh, I, I get that, but listen, if you're honest, isn't this what we really want? If you're married, okay, isn't this what you want your husband to do? Isn't this what you want your wife to do? If you're a parent, isn't this what you want your kids to do? Isn't this what you want your mom and dad uh, to do? Isn't this what you want your best friend to do? We want all the people that we care about to do this because we know that when somebody crosses a line sexually, it can just be devastating. We've seen it happen in the lives of other people. But then we look at ourselves and we say, you know, I wonder how close I can get to the edge. And where is the edge, uh, really? How far uh, can you go? How close can I get to the light without getting zapped? Now, throughout this series, we've, we've talked about two forces that influence us to live on the edge. One is fear. We said that fear drives us to live on the edge. The other is, is culture. And here's what culture does. Culture baits us to live as close to the light as possible. But then when we get zapped, Culture turns its back on us. 
You know, for example, I would say probably, you know, all of us would agree teenage pregnancy is, is a problem. Teenage pregnancy is, is not a, a wise thing. But think about this. Think about how we market and advertise to uh, teenagers. Have you been to the mall lately? Have you watched TV or movies? Have you listened to the music that's playing? Our culture baits teenagers to get as close to the light as possible, but when they get zapped, culture turns on them. I can't believe they did that. What a, what a shame. They must be from a broken home. And, and culture will do this with, with marriage as well. Culture paints this picture of an affair as, as, as glamorous. Think about this. You know, when was the last time you watched a TV show or a movie and they showed a love scene, you know, between two married people? Uh, they, don't, they don't show that. I mean, nobody wants to watch that. That's not exciting. That's not edgy because culture paints this picture of having an affair as glamorous, as exciting. Get as close to the light as you can. But then as soon as someone is zapped, you know, what do we do? I can't believe they did that. Culture pressures us and then punishes us. And because culture's not going to change and TV shows aren't going to change and movies aren't going to change, here's what we need to do. We need to pre-decide moral margin. We need to put some protective measures in, our, in place to protect us, uh, to keep us from getting zapped. And that's why Paul goes on to explain why this is so important. Look at what he says next here. All other sins a person commits are outside the, the body. Notice those first three words, all other sins. What he's doing, he's putting sexual sin in its own category. He's, he's telling us there's something unique about sexual sin that sets it apart from all other sins. It's not that it's unforgivable, okay? Forgiveness is not the issue. There's a level of consequence. There's a consequence that accompanies sexual sin that is just so different because he says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but when a man or woman sins sexually, they, they actually sin against their body. Now, I'm not exactly sure I fully understand everything that Paul means here, but here's what I think he's getting at, that when a man or woman sins sexually, they experience a personal consequence. They carry a memory. They carry a scar. They carry an attitude a view of, of life that if they're not careful, can distort all of their life. And in some cases, it may take years to overcome the, the patterns and consequences and habits associated with sexual sin. And so God says what we would expect him to say if he loves us. God says, don't flirt with it because of the consequences it can bring. You need moral margin. You need to pre-decide your margin. And then Paul goes on, and he gives us even greater incentive. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. He says, if you follow Jesus, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. God himself moves into your body and makes you his temple. And so Paul would love it, you know, if we get up in the morning and look in the mirror and we would say, you know, look at this temple. Look at my temple. You know, sometimes I'm like, ooh, this temple is expanding. You know, the temple's growing. Need to downsize my temple. But but he uses this word temple because he wants us to understand how God views our bodies as sacred, as valuable. And then he says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. He says, Jesus came into this world and he purchased you from sin. That's the price God paid to make your body his temple. The death of Jesus. That's how valuable your body is to God. The implication here is that because Jesus purchased you from sin, 
You are no longer a slave to sin. You no longer have to do what your desires tell you to do. You no longer have to do what your appetites tell you to do. We have control now because our bodies are under the authority of God. And then he closes this section by applying it. He says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, in the past, people have taken this last sentence here and just pulled it out of context, twisted it a little, a little bit. And uh, maybe you've heard these kinds of things. They've said things like, well, you know, I guess that means I can't get any more tattoos. And tattoos are very popular. Maybe some of you have uh, tattoos. You know, you can relax. Uh, tattoos are fine because Paul, that's not what Paul is talking about here at all. The entire context, the entire conversation here is about sexuality. He says if it, if it, if it dishonors God, don't do it. Don't look at it. Don't check it out. Don't move toward it. Create enough moral margin that you don't get so close to the light that you get uh, zapped. And so here's an important question. You know, what does that look like in our uh, lives? What, what does it really mean to pre-decide margin? And so here's what I want to do with my remaining time. I want to talk to three groups of people here. And uh, I want to be as specific as I know how to be uncomfortably uh, specific, and if it seems like I'm looking at my uh, notes more than usual, it's not because I'm reading, it, it's because I don't want to look at you while I'm saying these things, okay? It's uncomfortable, a little bit uncomfortable, all right? But let's get started, and first group I want to talk to is teenagers. Teenagers, it boils down to this. You need to pre-decide where is your limit. You need to pre-decide how far you're going to go sexually, because I tell you what, if you don't make that decision, culture or the person that you're dating will make that decision for you, and they will push you to their limit. So pre-decide your limit. And then you need to leave some extra margin. You don't want to just live on the edge. You don't want to just live right on that line where there's no margin for error. You need to leave some space so that if, if you mess up, I mean, you're not going to live with consequences for the rest of your life. There's not going to be a long-term scar. Now, here's what some of you are probably thinking right now. Okay, Ben, but, you know, in my high school, you know, nobody does this. I mean, nobody uh, thinks about margin, nobody creates, you know, margin. I'll be the only one. But you know what? That's just not true. Recently, MTV did this survey with Time Magazine. Now, now this is MTV, okay? This isn't Jesus, this isn't River Glen, this isn't the Bible. This is MTV. And here's what they concluded in this survey that they did with Time Magazine. You, you ready for this? 56% of teenagers say they want to abstain until they marry. 56% of teenagers want to abstain until they marry. Here's what that means. If your high school is a typical high school, more than half of the students in their heart, they're saying, I want to wait. You go, oh, not in my high school. I mean, you ought to hear what I hear, you know, the things I hear in, in, in my school. Well, I mean, nobody brags about waiting, okay? You know, nobody says, oh, wow, guess what we didn't do last night? No, no. <laughs> Or, hey, we're waiting. Oh, cool, dude. You know, we're waiting too. No, nobody says those things. You know what you're going to hear? You're going to hear about, you know, the other 40%. And some of that might be exaggerated. But the truth is, most American teenagers want to wait until they're married. And if you make that decision and create the necessary margin to support that decision, you're, gonna, you're not only going to be in the majority, you're making a decision you're never going to regret. Now, here's the question that always comes up. Here, here's the question that people always ask. How far can we go? How far 
can we go? I'm going to go ahead and, and, and tell you how far you should go when you date. Ready? Here it is. You should go as far as you want the person that you marry to have gone with the person they dated right before they met you. You set your standard where you want the person that you marry to have set their standard with the person that they dated before they uh, met you. You're going, oh, well, well, the person I marry, I don't want them to have done anything. Exactly. Well, maybe, but not far. Listen, that's where you need to set your standard. And I know this isn't easy. I know this is very challenging and and very very tempting because it feels like these four years of high school are going to last forever. But here's the reality. You're only a teenager for a few years. Most of your life, you live as an, an adult and the, the decisions you make as a teenager, you're going to live out the consequences for, for, for all of, of adulthood. And so be smart, set your standards high, and create moral margin. And let people laugh. That's okay, because ultimately, you'll laugh, you'll laugh uh, last. Because God always honors margin. God always leads us uh, to margin. And you'll be in the majority, despite what culture has to say. All right, here's another group. First group's teenagers. Second group is singles. And singles here, what I, what I mean are adults who maybe have never been married or maybe you uh, were married and divorced or maybe you're a widowed. And so this is a wide range of people. And so what I thought I would try and do is come up with a song, like a theme song to really help this stick in your mind about, you know, the moral margin that God wants you to uh, establish in your life. And uh, here's a song that I came up with. You can't touch this. Now, you think I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, stay with me on this. Uh, here's, a, here's, a, here's a question, personal question uh, for you. If you've experienced sex outside of marriage, did that make your life better or more complicated? Better or more complicated? Probably more complicated be, be, because of guilt and shame and, and regret. I mean, I've never met anybody, you know, who had a string of people uh, sexually and they say, hey, you know what I love doing? I love to go to the grocery store and, you know, run into one of them and say, you know, hi, Sheila, you know, this is Stacy. Meet Stacy. No, nobody says that. Here's what, here's what people say is they see someone and they go, oh, why did I ever do that? And they feel regret and hurt and embarrassed. Sex outside of marriage complicates. And so if you're single, set your standard high because these same rules that that, that apply to teenagers about abstaining also apply to singles, also apply to you. I wanna show you a picture of uh, a couple here. You probably recognize uh, Russell Wilson, the quarterback uh, right here. And, And I know we may have some mixed feelings, you know, in the room about Russell Wilson. He played for Wisconsin. Now he plays for Seattle. They beat the Packers a, a, a couple uh, times. But let's just set those feelings aside, okay? Push those feelings aside for a moment. Last year, Russell Wilson spoke in a, in a church, and he said that they are dating, Russell and Sierra, he said they're dating the Jesus way, which I thought was a little funny at first because Jesus didn't uh, date, but I get what he means. He means they've created moral margin. He means they're waiting until they get married. And maybe you remember this story went viral. You know, uh, people made fun of him. It was all over the news. It created a lot of buzz and attention. People said, how could he? What is he thinking? What is he thinking? I'll tell you what he's thinking. He's thinking about her. He's thinking about her. Love, because that's what love does. Love 
honors. And you know how you honor someone? You wait for them. Love says, you're worth waiting for. And, and, and listen, if he treats her with love and honor re and respect before marriage, how do you think he's going to treat her after marriage? The same way. And so if you're here and you're dating or you start dating someone, here's what I would encourage you to do. You tell them your moral margin up front. You tell them your moral boundary up front. And the good news is the ones that aren't serious will just bail on you. And the ones that are serious will stay. Now, sometimes the best decision a single person can make, and I realize this is a tough thing to do, but sometimes the best decision is to just take a break from dating because sometimes people get into a pattern of sexual activity and it's very difficult to reverse that pattern, to reverse that habit, especially when you just go from one relationship immediately into another uh, relationship. So maybe the best decision you can make is to take a break from dating for six months or a year and say, God, I'm stepping back from the edge. God, I'm going to take some steps with you. God, would you renew my heart toward dating. And that, that, that space will allow God to work in your life and put you in a much healthier place to resume uh, dating. So we have teenagers and then we've got uh, singles and then I don't want to forget about the third group here and that would be married couples. Let me ask you this, married couples. To what extent or what extreme would you want your spouse to go to to protect himself or herself from unnecessary sexual temptation? I bet many of us would say, I'd want them, I would want them to do whatever it takes. And so that should be your starting point as well. And so I want to share with you a few uh, margins, a few uh, boundaries that I have, in, I have set in place in, in, in my life as well as our, our church uh, staff. And the reason I want to share these with you is because I have seen too many uh, married people get zapped. And, and very often if you look back at their life, what you'll see is a lack of of moral margin, lack of margin that created unnecessary sexual temptation. And so here we go. I'm not going to share all of them. I'm just going to share a few of them with you. Here's number one. Don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex. Because this is where many relationships get started that shouldn't get started in a casual social environment. It starts out with coffee and then lunch and then running errands. And it just builds and builds from there. And things happen that people never anticipate happening. And, you know, I, I know this boundary, you know, might not fit into your lifestyle right now or might not fit into your uh, work habits. But what if you were to make some adjustments? What if instead of meeting alone, what if you just brought somebody else with you to the meeting? Or what if you just said no to the appointment? Could God bless that decision? Or if you can't, absolutely just cannot uh, 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 avoid it, what if you step back and, and make a phone call to your spouse and, and tell them, you know, who you're with and uh, where you're uh, located? You might avoid just a world of unnecessary temptation. Here's a, here's a second one for uh, uh, married uh, couples. Don't ride alone in a, in a car with members of the opposite sex. Don't travel alone with members of the opposite sex. Ride, ride separate and meet them there. And I've done this, and I know sometimes it can be awkward. And I know, you know, it can cost extra money. It's probably cheaper to carpool. It saves gas. But this decision might protect you from getting into a situation where there is unnecessary temptation. I remember when I was a little kid, my parents owned a, an apartment, four-family apartment, and my dad did most of the maintenance work. So after he finished his job during the day, he'd go to the apartment and, and uh, you know, do any uh, maintenance uh, work. And I can remember real clear 
real clearly, I was about nine or ten years old, I think, and my dad frequently took me to this apartment where there was a single woman about my dad's age. And I, I still remember this woman's name because she was very friendly and she requested uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, repairs. And so I would just stand there and, and I didn't really help much, but I'd hold the tools, you know, and I'd, I'd hand them uh, to my dad, uh, that sort of thing. See, I was, and I was too little to really understand what was going on because I found out years later that uh, behind my back, uh, my mom called me the bodyguard, and my dad brought me along for protection to keep moral margin. But you know what? What a good example for a parent to set for a child. And think about this. When there is exclusivity in a marriage, it deepens the intimacy in the marriage, and it strengthens a, a, a family. So avoid spending extended time alone with members of the opposite sex. And then third, don't confide in or let members of the opposite sex confide in you uh, about their personal problems. Just, just decide not, not to do that. Uh, because that allows, oftentimes people get started going down the wrong road. And sometimes people will push back on this and they'll say, well, I'm the only Christian that he knows. And his wife's not a Christian. And they're having marriage problems. And he says, I'm the only one that really understands him. And, you know, he may say that, you know, and he may believe that. But you know what? It's also very dangerous because those conversations will take you too close to the line that you don't want to cross. And so if someone of the opposite sex confides in you on a continual basis, you know, they need help, okay? But you, here's what you need to do. You need to point them to somebody else who can help them. That's why we have excellent Stephen ministers in our church that are available uh, to help. And we are blessed in our community to have excellent Christian uh, counselors who are also uh, available. All right, one more. When you feel your heart or desire drifting toward a specific person, tell someone. Tell someone about it. Because you know what? You can have all these boundaries in place and you can still feel tempted. Now, I'm not necessarily saying, you know, you know, immediately go and tell your spouse, at least up front, but have somebody in your life that you can go to and say, you know, I'm, uh, this might be a little bit awkward, I'm a little uncomfortable saying this, but there is a person at work, and I find my thoughts drifting to that uh, person. Maybe you share this with a friend, maybe it's somebody in your small group, or maybe it's a pastor, and you say, would you help me through this? Would you, would you pray for me? And you know what? This is huge. Telling someone can make a big, big uh, difference. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking that's extreme. You know, these boundaries are just, you know, too uh, cautious. But, you know, to me, these make good sense. And to me, these are a standard operating procedure, okay, for, you know, married couples that take God and their marriage and their family uh, seriously. Because God loves us. And God wants us to have great relationships. And more than anybody, God wants us to have great dating relationships, that lead into great marriages, that lead to great uh, families. And so what would we expect from a God, you know, who loves us so much other than to say flee sexual immorality and create enough margin in your life to protect yourself from getting zapped. And so I would encourage you, whether you're married or single or a teenager, to pre-decide the moral margin in your life. Now, here's what we're going to do as we wrap up this talk and as we wrap up this series. I'm going to pray for all the different groups that are here, teenagers, singles, and and married couples. I'm going to pray that we just really commit, you know, this area to honor uh, God. And I'm also going to pray for those of us that are going, oh, I got zapped. 
Uh, maybe we can look back at a point in our life. And I'm going to pray especially for you because God can heal those scars, those memories, those uh, hurts. And it's not too late to get started. God loves you that much. And then after I pray, we're going to pass the communion trays to remember that, that Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins. And so as we pass the trays, as we, as we share communion, would you just think about and would you just allow the love and forgiveness and peace and rest of God to just wash over you and to comfort you. Let me pray for us. God, it makes sense that because of, of your great love for us, you want us to have great relationships. Relationships that experience love, tremendous love and, and intimacy where we honor each other, respect each other, and see each other the way that you see us. And in your eyes, we were worth dying for. So God, I pray for all those who are teenagers, singles, married couples, that we would do whatever it takes to set the moral margin in our lives. Because God, we want your best for our life. So would you help us do that? I pray that you would guide the conversations and decisions that are going to happen in, in the days and, and weeks to come. And, and that there would be families that stay intact, marriages that stay intact because of the, the conversation and decisions that are made. Father, I pray for those who are here who at some point in their life they can look back and say, I got zapped. I got zapped. God, I pray that you would be extra close to them today. They would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is never too late to renew their heart, to renew their mind and heal them of whatever needs healing in their life. Thank you for your love, your grace, your goodness that we see just so clearly in what Jesus did for us on the cross. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, for your wisdom that we find in your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.